Hello and welcome to the Forge Church Catch-Up Podcast. We're delighted that you have chosen to click play on this podcast. Each Sunday, our hope and prayer is to provide practical teaching directed by God that ties into everyday life. We hope today's talk encourages you. being fed inaccurate and spurious data. I mean, don't get me wrong, I want to believe the best, but I just don't know who to believe or what to do with the information I'm given. Who is this man, this self-proclaimed saviour? Can we trust a man whose life is so full of controversy and scandal? You just can't trust the evidence. We've got no idea of the real facts or the hard proof of the situation. Who is corroborating these stories? What is the verification process? You've got to remember, human beings have a terrible track record of being led astray. We need to be wary. What are the fables we've bought into? We've got to separate fact from fiction and determine what's genuine. It's time to bust these myths wide open. It's time to dig for the truth. time to bust these myths wide open. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, my name's Johnny. I'm the location leader at Thurston. I'm on staff here at The Forge. Uh, and it's really great to be here at Debenham this morning. If you're watching online, welcome to you as well. Hope that you're enjoying yourself in your pyjamas. Uh, the rest of us who got up here, well done. Good effort. The real, real go-getters. Uh, as I said, we're kicking off this series called Mythbusters. We all probably buy into some myths or, you know, of various different kinds. We might know somebody who buys into some bigger myths like believing that UFOs really exist or that the Loch Ness Monster exists or Bigfoot exists or something like that, that they've seen a ghost or something like that. And some people really do believe those myths and they have those thoughts and ideas. Some of us buy into smaller myths like the actual rules of monopoly and so forth. Not that I'm bitter about last night, Joe. Um, Most of us are still friends. But we all buy into various different forms of myths of various different kinds. One of my favourite shows as a child that I used to like to watch was this show called Mythbusters. Uh, Give us a cheer if you watched Mythbusters. Some of us watched Mythbusters. Used to love it. Used to absolutely adore it. Because they used to get these um, small ideas, these small phrases that would be thrown out. And they used to put them to the test to see what would really happen. So they tested out if you could really be buried alive. Like they tested out what would happen if you really fell into quicksand. Like in all the movies, like would you really sink? Like um, Flash Gordon or whatever would sink. I mean they tested out how hard is it really to find a needle in a haystack. They found out like the best weapon uh, when it came to the zombie Apocalypse? Was it really a gun or was it an axe or whatever? Just used to be really, really cool. Used to love it, busting the myths wide open to see which were true and which were false. But there are some other things in life that when it comes down to it, actually hold far more importance that we can be unsure on. Whether it's politically, whether it's culturally, whether it's uh, in your family, there are some things that actually we need to look and address a little bit more closely to see if they are true or not. And the reality is that when it comes to the church, we are also set about with a whole bunch of myths, some uh, things that we've got to look into and say, actually, is that true? And if it is true, should it be true? And so some of the myths we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks in this series, Mythbusters, I'd love you to try and just commit to this series, are like things like this. Uh, Church, is it a place full of hypocrites? Maybe that's something that you've heard, or maybe that's something you've thought or do think. The church, is it just boring and dull? 
When it comes to the church, is it just for a certain type of people and not for another group of people? Things that maybe we've heard thrown around, and are they true and should they be true? And are they myths that need to be bust wide open? And so today, as we kick off this series, we're going to be asking this question. Is the church against dot, 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 fill in the blank? Already some of us are feeling a little bit nervous, right? There are some things that we know that hit the news regularly around what the church is against, whether it's sexuality, whether it's gender, whether it's issues around divorce, whether it's issues maybe previously around Sunday trading, issues around abortion, issues around Greg's sausage rolls. Remember that one? Issues around certain Netflix comedies. Issues around all kinds of things. It hits the news regularly. Maybe there's a big celebrity or a sports star who came out with something that they believed on behalf of their faith. And all of a sudden, they just became discredited for it. And maybe rightly or wrongly and all these different things. And the reason these things cause us to be nervous, because even in this room right now, whether you call yourself a person of faith or not, there will be things right now that you can't agree with the person next to you on. It's difficult, right? It's difficult. And so as I kick off this series, I want to say, um, first of all, in this uh, session, we're not going to be looking at any of those specifically around what you should think or what you shouldn't think. If you'd like to have these conversations around any of those things or any of uh, other things that you might have in your mind that haven't been mentioned, I would love to sit with a coffee with you and talk uh, till the cows come home around whatever you'd like to talk about. I'm more than happy to do that around any of those different things. But regardless of where you come down on particular issues that matter to you or matter to the people that you know, I just want to lay out a couple of things that I think we might be able to all agree on. First of all is that the church as a whole has probably got things wrong in its past when it's come to how it's treated people. The reason I can be so confident about that is because the church is a group of broken people in a broken world trying to look out for other broken people. And so there's going to be some brokenness in that. And so can I just say that if you are here and you've made the brave step of coming back to church or you've left a previous church or you're watching online trying to give it another go, if you've been hurt before, if you felt abandoned to deal with issues by yourself, if you felt excluded and if you felt like you cannot be part of this community, I just want to say as much as I possibly can on behalf of the church, I'm really sorry. And if you're part of the forge and if you felt that here, can I just say that I would love the opportunity if you would let us uh, in order to meet with you just so that I can try and heal some of those wounds, just so that we can try and repair that because chances are I imagine it's probably out of naivety rather than intention uh, and so that we can try uh, and work some of that stuff out because I don't think anyone should be left alone in that. The second thing I want to say, though, around all of the big issues about the big discussion points, the things that the church is against or the thing that church is for or the things that you're against or the things you're for, is that there tends to be a reason behind people's thoughts. I mean, people hold different reasons for different thoughts. And that's not to say that one reason isn't better than the other or one reason is more thought through or anything like that. But what it is to say is that when we enter into discussions around these things, around the difficult topics, around the things that people are against or things that people are for, I think that when people get hurt, it's actually not often because people hold a deep-rooted hatred and prejudice of other people. Maybe I'm naive to think that, but I actually think the majority of people tend to be better than that. What I tend to think is that people have good reasons for believing what they believe, but they often start at very different starting points. 
And so what happens is when people don't appreciate each other's starting points, they go in two different tangents and don't uh, wonder why they don't end up in the same place. I'll give you an example. Um, Not so long ago, we held a Theopraxis course, which is a course where we can just delve a little bit deeper into an issue or an idea or um, a book in the Bible or something like that. Uh, We hold these courses uh, fairly sporadically throughout the year. Uh, And I was able to lead a session on uh, gender identity and theology. It's kind of a big issue. We put three uh, whole hour sessions towards it, or hour and a half sessions towards it. So kind of a big discussion. A whole bunch of you came. Uh, really grateful for that. And part of what we did right from the very off is I got a flip chart up at the front. And we showed just four interviews from TV where people were discussing the issues of gender identity. Uh, and so people, I asked people in the room, can you just write down if ever there is anything that's mentioned, any topic, any idea, any thought, uh, any uh, area of this that they mentioned, could you just write it down? And so people did, and then what, afterwards people shouted out what they had, and we filled up a whole whiteboard of things that people mentioned in these video clips from popular TV. Things around freedom of speech, things around biology, things about um, uh, autism, things around schooling, things around parenthood, things around culture, all these sort of things, and that was just a few of them. We filled up a whole flip pad of things of which people were talking about. And that fascinated me because it's a starting point. It's helpful to know that when we talk about difficult issues, they tend to be difficult because there is a whole multitude and complexity of things, and people often start with one of them, and when you start from a different one, things can get hairy before you even start. On the opposite side of that, have you ever noticed how easy it is to have a discussion around something difficult with somebody who completely agrees with you on everything? It tends to be because you start from the same point. The things that matter to you matter to them as well. And so when we start from different starting points, when we start from different, complex, different areas, the uh, the conversation gets complex quickly. And it can often be translated into something that it's probably not supposed to ever be. When it becomes complex, the risk that we hold in this is that we tend to resort to a really simple idea of the person standing in front of us, or the people standing in front of us. And that tends to be this, that they just don't know what I know and that they must be intolerant. They just don't know what I know and they, just must, they, they must just be intolerant people. Because if they were tolerant, they would agree with me. They would think how I think. And if they were tolerant, they would listen to what I thought, they would see reason and everything would be happy, right? That tends to be the really simplistic way of how we get to when we might not use that language. But what tends to happen is that tends to be the thought process that we have in one way or another. And what tends to happen is we just distance ourselves from people who we kind of just think are intolerant. And the difficulty around that is that even when it comes to tolerance, we can't even agree with really what we mean. I just want to look through a couple of different ideas of what tolerance is. Because chances are, we often think one idea of what tolerance is, but we really live by another. Uh, A guy called James Emery White, if you're interested, writes a little bit more about this. If you just type into Google, James Emery White, three different types of tolerance, and you can read a little bit more uh, around this idea of what people think and what people actually live out. But one of the types of tolerance looks like this. Type one is that acceptance is not equal to affirmation. Acceptance is not equal to affirmation. I can be tolerant of you even though we disagree. Most of us would probably suggest, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I know people who I disagree with, but I can still be friends with them. I can still accept them. I mean, regardless of what they think, 
I don't have to think what they think in order for them to be accepted, for us to be friends. And that's probably true on some of the lighter stuff. But when it comes down to the deeper kind of stuff, we can often fall into the trap of seeing tolerance as this instead. That actually, acceptance is exactly the same as affirmation. If you do not accept what I think, then you do not accept me. We cannot be in the same place unless we agree on the things that matter to me, as it were. This is the type of tolerance we fall into. And the ridiculous thing is, is that nobody actually believes this. I mean, maybe you're somebody who's outside of church right now and you think, actually, they think this about this certain issue or I think that they think this about something um, uh, particular. And as a result, I'm not going to be accepted. I don't feel welcome. I don't feel this. Or maybe you're someone who's part of church and you think the same. Actually, if they don't think this, then they cannot come in. They cannot be as part of this as I am. And we might get that idea, that thought, and it stems from a wrong view of what tolerance is. No one actually believes that because chances are that you disagree with things quite important to you next to, to, uh, for, with the person next to you. Chances are that you think some really critical big things that you didn't even think a couple of years ago. And you can still live with yourself. That's just not how tolerance works. So the question that I really want to ask when we're addressing this issue of is the church against dot, 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 is that a myth? Is that something that the church is known for? Isn't. How do we just agree with everything, with everyone? The question I want to ask isn't just how we live with uh, or how we don't disagree. The question I want to ask is how can we be okay with living with others in the midst of each other's type two intolerance? Or if I can rephrase slightly, how is it that we can love each other in spite of big opinionated disagreement? How can we do that? The fascinating thing I find is when it comes to this question, the thing that the church can be known for is so distant from what Jesus ever really lived out. When we think about what the church can be known for, about how it sticks with its starting point at the expense of everybody else and refuses to understand anybody else or listen to anybody else uh, or care for anybody else, maybe that's a, uh, something that you've heard or you've maybe even experienced. Maybe it's um, uh, around this idea that the church is something that you cannot come into unless you agree with everything that that church thinks or that pastor thinks or that person thinks. That just isn't the way in which Jesus tended to live. In fact, I think Jesus set out a really amazing model of how we can uh, do just that, how we can love each other in the midst of the big, critical disagreements about, what, uh, about how we should be living. And so to do that, I want to look at a passage uh, written by a guy called John. John was one of Jesus' followers. He followed him around writing an account of Jesus' life. It's one of four accounts that we have. And I want to read from John chapter 7, a couple of verses that maybe you've read before, uh, or maybe you haven't seen before, but it's kind of nice because it kind of sounds Jesus-y. This is what uh, John writes. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now we kind of read that and we think, oh, that's kind of nice. It's like Jesus-y language. We like that, Jesus. Jesus is good there. To really truly understand the grasp of, and magnitude of what Jesus is doing here, we really need to understand when Jesus said this. Because we know what Jesus said, but we really need to understand when Jesus said uh, this uh, passage. 
You see, on the last day, the climax of the festival, the festival they're talking about uh, is the uh, festival of Sukkot, or the, uh, the um, festival of tabernacles. It was like this week's festival where all of the Israelites would gather together in different ways, and they would celebrate effectively God's provision to them. I mean, there'd be lots of stuff at the temple, there'd have been meals, uh, there would have been uh, days off from work, uh, that kind of thing. And the climax of the festival would have happened on the last day, all the celebrations would have led up to this point. And on the last day of the festival, they would have celebrated the provision of water or the water festival. I mean, water as it is now was perhaps the most important element that these people knew and we would know. I mean, if the rains didn't come, what were they going to eat and drink? I mean, it wasn't like they could just pop down to Tesco and get some bottled water. And so they would have this big festival of water uh, and they would celebrate it together. And it was this idea of asking God, God, would you provide for us again this year in the way in which you provided for us before? And as part of this festival, all of the Israelite people, they would gather together in a temple and they would have made these, um, uh, these uh, branches and they'd have stuck them together called lulavs. They look a little bit like this, lulavs. And the idea was that when you put these particular branches together and shook them, it would kind of sound like rain. And they would come to the, fe uh, the festival and to the temple and they would start shaking them. And they'd be ra uh, ringing them together and it would kind of sound like rain. And as the festival, this climactic bit of the festival would begin, the priest would come up with this uh, pot and he would come up to the front and everyone would be getting a little bit louder and they would start shouting to each other, God, save us. Hoshana, Hoshana. And they would be getting louder and louder. And then the priest would come up with this pot and he would show everybody that was, it was empty, that there was nothing there, that they were in need. And everyone would be shouting louder and louder, Hoshana, Hoshana, shaking their sticks, shaking their lulavs. And the priest would come back down from the stage. He would go to the nearest water source. He would scoop up some water and he would be coming back into the temple. People getting louder and louder, more and more crazy. God save us, Hoshana, Hoshana, shaking their leaves, shaking their leaves. And as the priest would come up, everyone would be going as crazy as they possibly could. And he would raise up the pot and everyone would fall silent, like dead quiet. And as he pours out the water to sort of symbolise this is how God provides for his people, everyone would go crazy, everyone would be happy because it would sort of show that God cares, God wants to restore, God wants to um, refresh, God wants to give relief, God wants to provide. And so it was in this festival that Jesus spoke, and I kind of just for a little bit of fun, wanted to reenact this celebration a little bit. Because in more modern Jewish times, what they've done is they've got the overgrown bush from the office and stuck egg shakers to them. Um, so under your seat, you'll find just that. If you can just pick up your branch, um, I think most people will have one. If you haven't, I'm sorry. If you've got two next to you, hold two. Make sure they're all up in the air. That's it. Yeah, just give them a little bit of a shake. Just a little one. Okay, that's good. That's a little bit of rain there. I like that. A little bit of sprinkling rain. Okay, if we just hold on for a second, because we've got our priest, Emily, over here, and she's going to come up in just a minute. And so as she starts to come up, she's going to start from over here. Um, Emily's going to come up. Emily's our priest. And so I just want to start us just a little bit of a shh, 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 shh. And can we just start shouting? Hoshana, Hoshana. Let's go. One, two, three. Okay, Emily's coming up. Get a little bit louder. A little bit louder. Come on. Hoshana, Hoshana, Hoshana. Here comes the priest. Hoshana, come on. Hoshana, Hoshana. And is there anything? There's nothing there. Keep going. Hoshana. Emily's got to go get the water. Hoshana. God save us. God save us. Hoshana. Give it a real shake. Go on. Hoshana. Hoshana, the rain's coming. Hoshana, Hoshana, keep going. I want to hear it. God save us, keep going. This is good, keep going. Hoshana, the water's coming, come on. 
Come on. Anyone who wants to be relieved. Anyone who wants water, come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me. For the Scriptures declare, rivers of water will flow from their heart. You see, it was in that moment of silence. It was the only moment people would have been able to hear Jesus at the climax of the festival. And so as everyone falls silent, as the priest was about to give their big bit of their production, Jesus says, nah, it's already happening, guys. I am that living water. If you're thirsty, you no longer need to do silly festivals. I mean, you can if you want. It's a good thing to do. But listen, the living water is here. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to me, all who are weak. Come to me, all who are broken. Thank you, Emily. Come to me, all who are wounded. Come to me, who need relief. Come to me, who need some care. Come to me, who need to be refreshed. Come to me. And the priests, the Pharisees, would have been furious. Partly because Jesus just ruined their show. Because no one was supposed to shout at that part. Everyone knew you had to all deadly silent wait for the priest to do their bit. But also, Jesus was saying, I am that one sent from God in order to be a living, breathing, caring, hospitable, loving person, living water. And the priest would have heard that and thought, you what? You what? You dare say that's you? I mean, this is just blasphemy. It's just blasphemy. I mean, imagine if I came up on stage saying, I am God, by the way. I mean, you'd probably be like, I'm going to chat to Steve. <laughs> like, I'm going to chat to the elders. No, like, this is what Jesus was doing, and it just caused, would have caused a ruckus amongst the religious leaders and the Pharisees. It would have caused concern. And I think it's brilliantly portrayed the next little bit. Because as people are gathering in the temple the next day after the climax of the festival, Jesus, Jesus is sat down. He's sat down teaching his people and at his feet are his followers and he's teaching them a whole bunch of different things. And whilst he's teaching the Pharisees run...
And these debates would get fairly heated, but not in a, a nasty way or a rude way. It would just matter and what was right and what was wrong. And as this would uh, take place, we are willing to get to other